The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. And let us open our, our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 28. This is the, the last chapter, and so the title of the message is Turning Point. So after we have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then it goes into the Acts of the Apostles and focuses really on two individuals, Peter, who was the one to open the keys of the kingdom first to the Jews, but then through the house of Cornelius, he was the one apostle who opened the keys to the Gentiles. But then the shift happens, uh, you know, at about midway through the book of Acts, and we're introduced to Paul. Uh, Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee, a Benjamite, um, you know, according to the strictest form of their religion, persecuting the church, and on the road to Damascus has a blinding, divine, glorious resurrection uh, experience of the resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from heaven, calling him by name out of the Shekinah glory of God. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who is it, Lord? You, you know, he didn't know who it was, but he said, whoever you are, you're God and you're Lord. This is Jesus of Nazareth, whom you have been persecuting. And then he gave him a mission and a commission. So that's what we've been following, and now we come to the final part of that as Paul makes his way literally to Rome, the heart of the Roman Empire, the city of Rome. And um, the title of the message is Turning Point, because this is a, a great turning point, and I'm gonna try to make application for all of us that it's a turning point for us as well as we look at some of the lessons that we learn in this chapter. So. Um, We've gone from Jerusalem, now we're landing in Rome. And it's the end of the beginning. By the way, I don't know if you were here with us, but I, I had to look back and see, so when actually did I begin teaching the book of Acts? Does anybody remember? It was July of 2020. So July of 2020. So, you know, it's been right around a year and a half journey. Have you guys enjoyed the journey? We've been traveling, following. I feel like I was on a ship last week, and now as he pulls it in finally to Rome, it's uh, pretty amazing. So with your outline, you can, um, we've got about five life lessons that I call them to try to pull out of the scriptures. And again, we're not just studying the past and what God did yesterday, but we're looking for what is God doing today? What is God saying today? What is the you know, contact and the connection for each one of us? So number one, Always be looking for people of peace. So this is kind of the lesson, as I kind of break down the chapter, we're gonna look at verses one through six. Paul was always ready uh, to minister to what I call the people of peace. And we'll talk about what that means and what that may mean for us as well in just a moment. But beginning in verse one, verses one and two, it says, now when they had escaped, they found out uh, that the island was called Malta. So, you know, if you were here last week, their, their ship is sinking. And Paul tells everybody, stay on board. Not one of you shall perish. You shall not lose even one hair of your head. Listen to me. So it's ironic. Paul was a prisoner who is, you know, in chains to a Roman guard next to him. 
But when the storm comes and everything's breaking apart and they're worried that they might not live, everybody started listening to Paul. He was the leader in the time of crisis. So they're coming to this island called Malta. And then in verse two it says, and the natives showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and they made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. So uh, I'd like to say this at the beginning. You know, what is one of the purposes of the book of Acts? is that it gives us a transition because if we didn't have the book of Acts and all we had was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you jumped right into Romans, the book of Romans, you'd be saying, how did the gospel start in Jerusalem uh, with the Jews and how did it end up in Rome with all the Gentiles? So that's the transition. That's the story that the book of Acts uh, reveals to us. So they're ready to, the ship is crashing, it's breaking up on the very shore, and everybody is going to be safe because Paul said, the angel of the Lord, of the God that I serve, stood by me last night and said, no one shall perish, but they must listen to you. So they, they, you know, they finally, they're crashed into the harbor, but everybody swims, they're all safe and alive, and they get to shore. And then here, at least in my version, uh, which is New King James, there in verse one or verse two, it says, and the natives showed us unusual kindness. The Greek word there is basically where we get our English word barbarians. <laughs> so they were, they called them barbarians. Now that, that doesn't mean that they were, you know, uh, some backwards island people. They could have been and probably were very sophisticated. It just means that when they spoke, their language was something that Romans did not know, uh, they didn't understand, and so it sounded like they were saying bar, 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 bar. So that's where barbarians comes from. So they're the, the uh, but they're the local natives. Now what's interesting is, you know, you don't know what you're gonna find on any particular island or if they're gonna be friendly natives or non-friendly natives. So what's amazing is, here are these poor people on the ship. You've got sailors, uh, crew members, uh, Roman soldiers, and prisoners, and they're all soaking wet, terrified out of their minds. They come to the shore. They could have e easily been rolled and taken advantage of, but instead, it says these locals showed unusual kindness. And what I want to say, I want to note that because, okay, so they've been in a horrible circumstance and situation. God has delivered them and saved them. They crash onto the shore, and the people that now come to greet them are unusually kind. That tells us something. You and I have been through a very rocky last year or two, and we might say that some of us in the economic and all the other impacts that have been going on, our ship has, has taken some heavy hits. We have been cast maybe into new uh, islands or environments, and we're wondering what's going to happen next. And to show that the Lord was with Paul and with those who were on that ship, God had prepared the hearts of these people. He had prepared the hearts of these, if we might say, pagans, and they were kind. They were, they were like human beings. 
How many find it's always exciting to find, when you're in trouble, a human being that's got a heart and compassion and like, wow, I feel sorry for you. Can I get you something to eat? Can I take your wet clothes and give you something dry to wrap around your shoulders? And they were very kind to them. I want to say this. We are in America, and I hope you understand what I am saying, are living in an ever-increasing pagan-like environment. Can I hear an amen on that? Pagan thinking and pagan in many of their ways. So, but what, how, do, how are we to respond to that, especially as believers? And what I want to say is that our natural instincts out of fear or whatever else there may be, we need to be open to the Holy Spirit. I like what uh, C.S. Lewis, who was a non-believing you know, atheist, writer, very famous professor over there in England who came to the Lord late in life. But here's what C.S. Lewis had to say about pagans. He said, pagans make really good (laughs) pre-Christians. He says, you know, so don't be put off by their paganism and their pagan gods and goddesses, their pagan beliefs and their pagan ways. Because Oftentimes, what you'll find is that they, you know, everybody's in the same boat in this fallen, broken world. So they're diving after what little bit of refracted light they think they have. But here's the good news. And this, we have inside information. (laughs) Their gods, whatever they may be, or goddesses, are always going to fail them. Amen? So by their constant disappointment, heartbreak, and failure of their pagan gods and goddesses, it it really engenders an emptiness inside them that makes them really good pre-Christians. And the reality is, how many of us have a pagan past in one way or another that God also used to bring us to the point where we were saying, you know what, I keep bowing down to that stupid idol and it gets worse and worse and worse. I'm leaving, I'm turning around, which is what repentance is. I'm headed in a new direction. And then how many, all of us had somehow, some way, someone that came to you with the good news of the gospel, the freeing power of Jesus Christ, that you could have your sins forgiven and hear the eternally good news that you could have eternal life and be filled with his Holy Spirit, amen? Amen. So let us now pass that same blessing on to others. Now look with me in verses uh, three through six. It says, but when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat. So it had been cold, remember there was a storm, and uh, so it kind of froze, and then the snake got it thrown near the wood pile, and the heat is now making the little viper awaken, and there's Paul puts his hand, and the viper fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature, (laughs) the, the venomous viper hanging from his hand, They said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and they saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said, oh, he must be a god. (laughs) 
I love that story. Here, now, here, there's several things to note here. Number one, here's Paul, the apostle, the mighty, anointed, gifted apostle Paul. They land on shore. There are some other believers that are with him and on their way to Rome with Paul. And so what is Paul doing? He's picking up sticks to make wood. Now, it may seem like a small thing, but there, there are those who having a certain status or calling, and certainly if they had the name like Paul, of being the apostle that saw the resurrected Lord, would be standing on the side saying, you guys go collect sticks. I'm going to be over here meditating and praying. But I find it very admirable that Paul, the apostle, was walking around looking, hey, you guys find some wood, let's get some sticks. Let's... He was helping make a fire. Paul, the apostle, was still a servant. And I believe that that's a great model and an example for all of us, that we are to be the servants. Jesus said that the servant of all in the kingdom of heaven is the greatest of all. We get that mixed up sometimes down here. We think that the more people you can have that come listen to you, follow you, serve you, that makes you something mighty. But the opposite is true. The greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. Therefore, the greatest in the kingdom, which is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, is the greatest servant of all in heaven for all time and eternity. So let us follow his example. Amen? And then you have to think that you know, surely the devil is trying his hardest to keep the Apostle Paul from the capital of Rome because when Paul comes, he delivers and casts out demonic strongholds, brings the gospel. I mean, he uproots the kingdom of darkness. And I think Satan was terrified out of his little devil mind that Paul the Apostle is coming to Rome and he tried to kill him using the storm in any way that he could. And having failed, he sees a little serpent. He goes, make that thing come alive in the wood pile. And then I'm sure that he was happy and helpful to put that viper on Paul's hand. He was there to take him out. So the Lord was with Paul. And what's funny is the people. I want to just take a moment. The local, which were very, very friendly, very, had very compassionate human hearts, taking care of the people, and they see this guy, and you see a viper go onto Paul's hand. It's hanging there, and Paul takes it and shakes it off. And then they, say, they start elbowing one another and telling their friends, and I'm sure there were other people that running to the other huts and villages, oh, come see, this guy got bit by a viper. Let's all watch him puff up like a puffer fish, and he's gonna go down. He's gonna die. And so they all run around and they're kind of watching and waiting. And Paul's looking at him, smiling. He just shakes it off. He just totally shakes it off. And, but what were they thinking? What, did, what does it tell us that they thought about him when a viper bit on his hand? What did they think he was? A murderer. Wow, well, he, they already knew since he's chained to a Roman soldier, he's a prisoner, he's a bad guy, He's done something awful, but now he escaped the storm in the sea. So their theology was the gods go after you when you do something wrong and they're going to take you out. That's what they're thinking. So they're waiting and they're watching. He's probably, he's going to get what he deserves. Then he doesn't get what he deserves and they totally switch and go, wow, he must be a god. <laughs> so they go from one extreme to the other. But the reality is this, 
God was not finished with the Apostle Paul. There was nothing that could take his life. Not a viper, not venom, not a demon itself could take Paul out because God wasn't finished with him. That's the hope that you and I have is that as long as we are seeking the Lord, serving the Lord, walking with the Lord, nothing can take us out until it's our time. And by the way, when the time comes that it's time to no longer be down here in this little earthly suit, but to be in heaven, in the presence of the Lord for all of time and eternity, I'm not gonna, I don't think we're gonna wanna come back. So we're ready to go, amen? So now, so this is now, though, this story is going through the whole line. Look with me in verses 7 through 10. And here's what I'll say for this. These signs will follow those who believe. So after the whole scene at the fire, now the, you've got an entire island. Do you know how that story spread? Everybody in the island heard about this guy. He's a prisoner. We thought the, the gods got him, but then he didn't even die from the viper. This guy's like a god. So verse 10, or verse 7. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius. So he's the kind of the Roman representative governor for the island of Malta there, who, re, who received us and entertained us. So us means Paul, the prisoner. It means Luke, the author, courteously for three days. The Roman governor, after hearing the story of Paul, and probably hearing that Paul is the guy, the prisoner that saved everybody's life in the ship through the storm. And then a you know, venomous viper bit him and he didn't die. He's like, wow, I'd like to hear more about this guy. He literally invites him to his home. And in verse eight, it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed and he laid his hands on him and healed him, and the word there basically means it was instantaneous. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. So here's what I want to apply, something that Jesus said in the very first gospel ever written, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, Verses 17 and 18, and I'd like to have us read these verses because they're, they're happening right here, right now, in this 28th chapter of the book of Acts with the Apostle Paul. Let's read it out loud. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So two of these signs are happening right here, right now. So here's Publius, he, he invites them to his home and, and he goes, oh yeah, my father, he's really, really bad. He's really, really sick. And Paul says, well, you know, he probably started sharing with him about Jesus. He goes, let me pray for your father. He lays hands on him and he is healed instantly. So here's what I want to say. Paul now then begins to share Jesus with the man, the Roman governor of the island of Malta. He has just healed his father, and now all the other people on the island run home to their huts and villages, and they get anybody in their family who is sick, and they come bring them to 
The prisoner who is chained to a Roman soldier, who they heard a story about, he gave a word, nobody would die in the storm. Then they saw a viper hanging from his wrist and he just shook it off. They thought he was a god, but now he is saying, no, it's not me, but it's the one who is in me. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Messiah. He rose from the dead and his spirit is in me. Is that powerful or what? Woo, beautiful, powerful. And so here's what I want to say. The, the people on the island that were very unusually kind, that means that it was an open door of the Holy Spirit. Then this Roman governor, when he hears about uh, Paul, and he, he then shares with him his story about his father, his father gets healed. Now his whole island is getting supernaturally, miraculously healed. This is a sign that the Holy Spirit is at work. So here's what I wanna say to you. Cause we go, we wanna share with people and, we, and I'm sure we've all had the experience of sharing with people and they're not interested, they don't wanna hear it. But we feel like, well, it's our obligation, we wanna try to share and be a witness and that's, that's all fine and good. But I wanna say this, um, if I could, when, when Jesus was saying, I will make you fishers of men, he gave several uh, parables and stories where he basically said, find a man or a woman of peace. Meaning find someone, they're not fighting you, debating you, arguing with you, putting their hands over their ears, but they're very kind, they're very open. They're like, oh, I'm curious. No, tell me your story. Share with me your journey. I'm totally open and they're being very kind to you. Basically what, he, what Jesus was saying is, Go fishing where the fishing is easiest. Because what that shows is that when they're open, when they're willing to get into a dialogue, when they're kind, when they're listening, what it shows is that God has prepared their hearts for what you're about to share. Amen? So let's go with the man of peace, the people of peace, and begin sharing with them, take advantage of it. So you go for, in a conversation from me, so here's, I'm gonna give you um, four things that, that uh, you can write down. If, let's say that you, you go to someone and they're, they're friendly or whatever, so you, you start with a simple conversation. Just start with a very simple, yeah, simple, I'm talking, they're listening. But then if, if simple is moving along, then you can move to a serious conversation. All of a sudden, you're going from simple now to serious. We're talking some serious things, some things that actually have meaning. Then if they're willing to go back and forth, they're open, friendly to a serious conversation, now go into the spiritual conversation. And that's where you can begin sharing. Well, you know what, man? I was just talking to the Lord. And you just share with them openly about your faith and pray and, and uh, whatever God puts on your heart. Spiritual. And then if they're open and don't shut down the spiritual conversation, then you can say, and have I got great news? I got the best news for you. How would you like to hear some really good news? How would you like to know that your sins can be forgiven and you could have the gift of eternal life? Well, they've gone from simple to serious to spiritual to now they're like, yeah, how do you do that? And then you lead them to the Lord. Can I hear an amen? Let us follow that example. Okay, look with me at verses 11 through 16. And I'll just say this about these verses. We are reminded that the Christian is never, ever alone. I know a lot of people now, 
in these days feel isolated, they feel alone, and I want to remind you, you're never alone. Neither was Paul in these dire circumstances. Verse 11 says, and after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the, tr the twin brothers. So uh, that would be Castor and Pollux. So, you know, ships, uh, you know, people that are into sailing and they do that for a livelihood, they're very superstitious. So they would carve the images of these two gods. One's name was Castor, the other was Pollux. Supposedly they were the divine sons of Jupiter and they felt like that's good luck. So they carved those two gods literally into their ship. Um, and so, but now as the crew, so now Paul and the other crew, as they get ready to go on their next excursion where they're gonna actually go to Rome, <laughs> all those who had been on that ship and now get on this new ship, they have a whole different perspective. Hey, it's not those two wooden guys that saved us when we were out in the storm. It was that guy, the prisoner, Paul, who told us about the God from heaven and his son, Jesus Christ. I'm sure they thought of that. But in verse 12, it says, and landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled around and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew. So now finally, they're, they're going at the right season, at the right time, and they have the gentle south winds. And the next day we came to Puteoli. That means Rome, the harbor there for Rome, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appi Forum and three inns. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So we talked about the, uh, the, the wooden images of Castor and Pollux, but now in verses 12 through uh, 15, I think it's interesting as Paul and the others uh, get on this ship, they must have been thinking about Jesus and what they had experienced in that storm and, and this man named the Apostle Paul. And so now on the road, they're met by Roman Christians. The gospel has already gotten to Rome. And now Paul the Apostle from Jerusalem, the, his story and reputation have already traveled around the world. He's going down the road, tied up to or chained to this Roman soldier, and a group of Christians and believers meet him on the road. They've heard about him. And the Greek word is that the believers that were in Rome were super excited. The word that is used is a Greek word describing the deputation that is going to meet a general or a king or a conqueror. They met Paul as one of the great men of the earth. And Paul was like, I'm sure he was extremely comforted and encouraged because everywhere he'd gone, he'd been, you know, people had been fighting with him, starting riots, taking oaths we're not gonna eat or drink until we kill him, stoned him to death, he's been in shipwrecks, he's been beaten with rods, and now, a group of believers who have heard his stories and testimonies, love him, have been praying for him, admire him, honor him, 
And, and it says that Paul was greatly comforted and he thanked God and took courage. I just want to say tonight that I, as your pastor, I am praying that in the name of Jesus, the Lord will send believers into your life to let you know you're not alone. He is with you. He loves you. He sees all of your sacrifices, everything, all the tough decisions that are, you are facing. And he sees it, he knows it, he loves you, he is blessing you, he is encouraging you, and he even has people right now you haven't met that are on the road and will be meeting you in the near future to let you know you're a blessing. I've been thinking of you, I've been praying for you, and I've heard that you are trusting in the Lord. Can we get together and have some fellowship? How many would be great with that, amen? And you can be one of those on the road to bring comfort and encouragement to others as well. So I want to say tonight, you are never alone. Psalm 139, David said, where can I flee from thy presence, O Lord? If I ascend into the heights of the heaven, obviously you are there. If I go to the depths of the earth, you are there. If I go to the end of the sea, you are there. If I go to the edge of the universe, you are there. Wherever you go, the Lord goes with you. You are never alone. Secondly, we have a great cloud of witnesses, all of our family and brothers and sisters who have gone before us. The Bible says, I'm sure they're having a great time in heaven, but they're also thinking about us down here. And, and we have a great cloud of witnesses who watch over us and cannot wait to greet us when we actually enter into heaven. Many that have had that near-death experience or whatever, and they've said that there was family who they knew had gone before them that were there at the gates of heaven, waving, smiling, and excited to receive them into heaven. Can I hear an amen on that? And then we have a worldwide family. I've been able to travel many countries all over the world, and I'll tell you, there's nothing more encouraging. I've been north uh, in, in Russia, north of Siberia. <laughs> One of the coldest places. I mean, there's not a blade of grass anywhere. It's just a frozen tundra in a, a certain part of northeastern Russia. And, you know, just cement buildings. And I went there with Franklin Graham, Dennis Agajanian, and there was a church there, and I'm telling you, when we went into that room, and they started worshiping, they, they embraced us, they were so happy to see us, they gave us a nice warm cup of coffee, which in Siberia is really nice, but they welcomed us, and I went, wow, Lord, this is like the end of the world. This is the worst place on earth I think I've ever seen to live. Everything is ice, with concrete buildings, and yet there were smiles, on their faces, there was warmth in their hearts. We have brothers and sisters, a worldwide family. And the Lord, the risen Lord, is with us. Uh, look with me again at verse 16. Now, when he came to Rome, I want to talk about Rome. Paul calls this Roman place, this was his prayer, his heart, his desire was to go to this beautiful place called Rome, beautiful Italy. And um, I've had the pleasure of going to Italy, uh, Rome, and some of the other cities that are there that are just, it's one of the most beautiful places on planet Earth. And I'm sure Paul's heart got excited as he was walking down the road. I'm going to the threshold 
of the world. I'm going to where the seat of power is for the whole Roman Empire. Paul would have seen, even on the ship, as he came into the harbor, the crowded beaches, the many colored sails of the yachts of all the wealthy Romans from around the world. It was the Ellis Island of Rome, and all the world flowed into it. And this was Paul's greatest desire. I get to bring Jesus into Rome, into the heart of Rome. And Paul was able to encourage the believers. We believe there were about six or seven little, tiny Christian home congregations. Paul was able, they were able to come to him and visit him, and he was able to share with them. And that's what I want to get into next, because I think it's so precious and beautiful. Uh, Verses 17 through 23. Paul calls the leaders of the Jews together. So look with me in verse 17. It it says, and it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people, the Jewish people, or the customs of our fathers, I'm not trying to change what it means to be a Jew, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans who when they had examined me wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, so the Jews that are from Jerusalem, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. I love this. Um, So Paul, when he first gets there, the first people that he calls are the local Jewish people that are from Rome. He wanted, and this is the heart of Paul, everywhere he went from the first day of his ministry all the way to the end of it, he always wanted to meet with the Jewish people first. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then also to the Gentile. Paul lived that out as a motto and a path of his life. And so here he goes to Rome, and again, I want all the Jewish leaders to come. I want to share with them about Yeshua, the personal story I have that I have seen, the risen Savior. I have met our Messiah. Even though for more than 30 years, over three decades, it is the Jewish people who have been doing everything they can to hinder Paul, to resist Paul, to undo his work, And then not a few of them want to kill him. And yet Paul's heart is one so merciful, so gracious, so, but I love you. I know you want to kill me, but I was just like you. But I want to share with you about my Jesus. Because if you knew him and if you saw him in his risen, resurrected glory, you would be like me. So still, it's first that he wants to offer the message of the Messiah of Jesus, of Nazareth. So he invites all of the local Jewish leaders to come together. And they probably, you know, had never met him, but I'm sure that they were somewhat aware of him. And he had been a member, we believe, of the Sanhedrin. So they're like, okay, so we'll listen to you, Paul. Now look with me in verse 20. He says, for this reason, therefore, I have called you to see you and speak with you because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Not against my people. I'm giving us the very hope of Israel, and the hope of Israel is the promised 
coming Messiah, whom Paul will share with him is none other than Yeshua of Nazareth or Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So verse 21, and then they said to him, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came and reported or spoken any evil of you. So they're saying, Paul, it was in your head, but nobody's given us a warning of you or anything else, but we do desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that there are Jews who believe this Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. We know that it is spoken against everywhere. So they said, we've heard of Christians, or we've heard of the followers of the way. We've heard of the Jews that believe the Messiah has come. But you know more inside information. We would like to hear it from you. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. Man, oh, when I read these verses, and when it says Paul sat down and he opened, all he had was the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi. Oh, what I would not give to be able to be a fly on the wall, sit down, hear the Apostle Paul teach Jesus in the Old Testament from the law of Moses and from the prophets. How many of you would love to have heard that Bible study? Oh, how awesome and amazing. I hope there are tape recordings in heaven because that's I, I would love to go and listen to the, that Bible study. Anybody want to go with me? If we get to heaven and they got a library of all the sermons of Paul, I would love to hear that one. What a powerful, significant Bible study it must have been as he took them systematically through the law and through the prophets, and he had the most fascinating subject, Jesus in the Old Testament. He spoke of the kingdom of God, the hope of Israel, and that Jesus, the Messiah, is the way to the heart of God, our Father in heaven. He spoke with them passionately and patiently and expounding to them all of these things. Nothing could be more fascinating than how all of these 300 and about 20 amazing predictions in the Old Testament focus on one person in all of human history of the events of his 33 and a half years on the earth. The prophecies sent around the brief moment in history when a man would be born in Bethlehem, be raised in Nazareth, walk the hills of Judea, do mighty signs, wonders, miracles, and supernatural signs that no prophet or all the prophets combined had never done before, finally die on a cross as had been predicted in the Old Testament, and then rise from the dead as had been predicted by the prophets. And then Paul to say, and I have seen him as though he were a lamb slain, but he is alive. The marks of the cross are there, but the resurrection glory and the Shekinah glory of eternity shines from his face. He has made himself known to me, and now he has sent me to share him with you. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, well, verses 24 through 31, we'll 
We'll finish up now the book of Acts, the final verses of chapter 28. Fruit from Paul's chains. What fruit could there be from Paul being imprisoned there? Verse 25, so when they did not agree among themselves. So again, some believed, some did not believe. They started arguing. They departed after Paul had said one word. This is what broke the meeting up. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Paul says, yep, the prophet was right. He was talking about all of you who just rejected what I just told you. <laughs> How many understand why they didn't feel good about that? What, we're the ones that are harder? But they were. He was okay with those who saw, and I believe that Paul was being honest with them just as the prophets shared with, you know, those who, their generation, about the Messiah. And their generations did not like what the prophets said and revealed about a suffering Messiah who is sacrificed and dies, like Isaiah 53. They didn't like that. They didn't want to hear that, so they rejected it. Verse 28 says, therefore let it be known to you that salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbidding him. So why didn't they believe? Because they, the religious Jewish people, had worked out a comfortable theological explanation of who the Messiah would be. They didn't like the prophecies about a suffering Messiah. They only wanted the one where he is political, he's a leader, he come to victory, everybody comes to Jerusalem, which is all true. But they neglected the picture of the Messiah who suffers and dies. So when God was revealing things in a different way than they expected, even though he had predicted it, they refused to move with him. They hung back. They clung to their religious tradition. They did not want to be disturbed out of their comfortable lives. No, we only want the king that will deliver us. Yay, the guy on the donkey, fine. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now take on the Romans, throw them out, and elevate us to our rightful place. Instead, he goes that very end of that week and is rejected and crucified and hangs upon a cross. No, that's not what we want. But that's what God did. That's whom God sent. That is what they really needed. That's why when Jesus said, if you're gonna come after me, I am the Savior, I am the Messiah, I am from heaven, I am from my Father, if you're going to follow me, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Well, that's not very comfortable. No, that's not cool. Where's all the we're victory, we're in charge, and everybody is coming to us? Oh, we want that part. Well, yes, that part will come. But first, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow after him. It is not easy. I don't know how to say this. It's not easy to be a Christian. Can I hear an amen on that? It's a narrow road. The majority are not on that road. 
Few there are that are on the road. And it's you have to deny yourself. That's not comfortable. There is a religion, there was a Judaism and now a Christianity that is more easily palatable, where everything is good, wonderful, hunky-dory. But there is no sacrifice in it. But what God does is he reveals our hearts. Are you willing to, as it were, lay your will down, your life down, become the servant of all, and follow me, and obey me, and trust in me? I think that today we're in the same boat. There are many who have developed a comfortable pattern in life, and when the Spirit of God moves in fresh ways, they don't want to change or they don't want to follow, we resist what disturbs our tranquility and our peace and what we're used to. But at the same time, I want to close with this. What God was doing is also, when it wasn't closed to all the Jews because some of them believed, but to those who hardened their hearts, it was a door closing. But now we can look at it today and say, you know what? God knew that there would be some who would close the door. And because those some did close the door, the door opened to us as Gentiles. How many are glad if you're a Gentile that you're in the family of God and have eternal life? But God is not done with the Jewish people. He's always had a remnant. And in the end, Romans eleven twenty six, he says, and all Israel, true Israel, shall be saved. Those whom God has foreknown, he has predestined, he has called, he's glorified, he's sanctified. And then in the end, he says, I'm going to make one new man, Jew and Gentile, in Messiah, in Jesus, we're now one new man. We're to walk together, to live together, to love one another, bless one another, until we see King Jesus come again. Amen? So I'm going to just stop here and say, so Paul spends another two years in prison, in Rome, under house arrest. And we believe at the end of those two years, he was released. And he went ministering more and planning more churches and doing more missionary work for another couple of years. And we believe he even made it to Spain. But then, a couple of years later, he was finally captured again. The time had changed. There was a Caesar named Nero, who if you know history, set a fire in Rome himself through his own people and then blamed it on whom? The Christians. He's the one that fed the lions, fed Christians to the lions for sport. That was the spirit of Antichrist. Then it is to, you gotta blame somebody when it's all falling apart and they blamed the Christians. But during the two years that Paul was in prison, he did this, he wrote, the letters to the Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. He wrote a letter to the church in Philippi called the book of Philippians. He wrote a letter to the church in Colossae called Colossians, and he wrote a little book called Philemon. Those are amazing books, and that's what God did in those two years that Paul was in prison. So I'm kind of glad that he was there for those two years and that he wrote those books and we're gonna get into the book of Colossians, that's where we're gonna head next. So now you know after going through the book of Acts and that Paul spent his, these two years in prison under house arrest, he wrote Colossians. So you're gonna get a personal letter from the Apostle Paul that was written in prison to you as a believer today called the book of Colossians, amen?
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.